Some people like to take trips and travel more than others. I'm one of those that has always enjoyed traveling. I like seeing new places, uh, experiencing things of other cultures. It's all a sense of enrichment and fulfillment for me. But whether we're taking a long trip, maybe to some destination outside the border of our country, or just a short trip to go somewhere to meet, you know, meet with relatives or friends or go to some event, something that's essential is you've got to pack and be ready for your journey. You know, you have to maybe check out and see what weather conditions are, where you're going, to be sure you pack the right items to take. If you're going to another country, you've got to make sure your passport is current. You have the right visas that might be needed. And then when you get there, you may find out sometimes you misplace some of those items and it causes you to get into a panic mode, just like some in our fellowship have recently had in their experience when traveling overseas. But even when you plan with the clothing... Sometimes you get there, and what the weather forecasts were telling you is not exactly how it is. Maybe it's unseasonably warm, or worse yet, unseasonably cold. And you packed accordingly for temperatures that are vastly different than what you're experiencing. Uh, Maybe you end up with uh, tropical storms and hurricanes coming through. You get blindsided while you're away on a vacation, and you're really not prepared for them. And so, no matter how well you have planned and prepared, it doesn't always mean that you have with you what's essential to enjoy your, journey, your trip, right? Life is a trip. Life is a journey. Most people go through life without ever planning or thinking about what may lie ahead. I mean, for the most part, individuals have the misguided concept, the sun is going to be shining every day. Things are always going to be going well. And the only thing that they've prepared for is the good things and the good times. And all of a sudden, they get blindsided. Instead of the sun shining, their life now is in the midst of a downpour. Maybe it's an illness that wasn't expected. Maybe it's an accident out on the highways. The unexpected things of life. And what each one of us need to understand is if we're going to enjoy life, if we're going to experience the good life, it doesn't happen by accident. It's something that can weather the unexpected things that come. And there are certain foundational keys that are absolutely essential for every one of us to properly experience life. And the reality is that that's what Solomon's telling us about in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. You remember that the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books of the Bible. And each of the wisdom books of the Bible deal with a certain pertinent topic 
that every human being has to struggle and wrestle with. And the beauty of the book of Ecclesiastes is that it is pertinent for every individual regardless of their spiritual condition because it deals with the most foundational and fundamental question that faces every human being as they go through life. Where is fulfillment? What is life's purpose? How do I have meaning, satisfaction, and joy in the midst of life. Solomon develops this book like a philosopher, like a sermon. He's a teacher who says, here is my premise. And the premise is, everything in this world is emptiness. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, every one of us would begin by saying, well, we see people that have no relationship with the Lord who are enjoying good things. And Solomon acknowledges that. The reality is there are temporary situations of joy, happiness, fulfillment, but they never last. And that's Solomon's premise. If you focus on the temporal, if you think just having something is what's going to give you fulfillment and happiness, if you are living for yourself instead of a right perspective in life, you are going to find that you're going to come up empty and always want something more. The reality is individuals are never satisfied with the provisions they have in the temporal world. They always want something more. And it's an acknowledgement that the things of this world, if that is my goal, if that is my focus, if that is my purpose and objective in life, are always going to let me down and I'm going to crave something else. Solomon develops that theme in chapters 1 through 6. And then beginning in chapter 7, being a wise individual, he says there are certain things we need to understand from the reality that the things of this world do not provide lasting fulfillment, purpose, and satisfaction. And that is that we can then face life correctly. And in the midst of all of the various changes in life, when we're hit with the unexpected, we still are able to enjoy the good life. We're still able to have the better life. We're still able to have fulfillment and satisfaction in life even when we go through some of the darkest trials that people face. And to Solomon, the key is, as he says in verse uh, 12 and 13 of chapter 8. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, what is he talking about? You and I know there are individuals who in our minds are doing everything wrong. And not just because we're coming from a Christian perspective. We find individuals that when some tragedy happens wrestles with how could this good person do such a horrific action? 
Well, individuals are making a conclusion that that's not the appropriate way things ought to be done. And sometimes it seems as if individuals who are doing things the way they ought not to be done get away with it, maybe even benefit from it. And Solomon says, even if in your experience you see individuals that you know are living their lives incorrectly and what they are doing is harmful to others and that seems like all is going well, they have no difficulties they're facing in life. Solomon says, I know this for certain, that still it will be well for those who fear God who fear him open. But it will not be well for the evil man. He will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. Now, one of the key themes that Solomon has in the book of Ecclesiastes is the fact that if you are going to find meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction in life, the foundation of your life needs to be God. Nothing else is big enough to support you. Solomon is going to say that the focus of your life needs to be the Lord. No other objective or focus of which you are living for is going to provide you with a satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning and purpose in life that you long for. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, for example, run back to chapter 3. Notice Solomon said in verse Um, 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. For God has worked that man should fear him. The events of life are to cause us to realize there's got to be something more than what we find in the visible material world. And Solomon is saying, God brings things to pass to shake up an individual in his life, to cause the individual to realize, I don't have all the answers. What I thought would give me meaning and purpose is letting me down. God is working so that individuals will fear him. And he concludes this book by saying, when you analyze everything I said, the conclusion of this at the end of chapter 12 is that you fear God because this applies to every man because we all have an accountability to him. Now, if we think about this concept of fearing God, it's not something we hear much in the New Testament. It's not something we actually hear much in discussions that people have in gatherings like we do here because we have substituted other words, other phrases for this Old Testament biblical concept of fearing him. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Psalms. And I want you to just quickly go to Psalm 34. It's a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm which gives us something of his life perspective And what it is is a song of joyous praise and instruction. It was meant to be memorized and understood by individuals because Solomon, or excuse me, David, the father of Solomon, wrote this as an acrostic. In other words, the first verse began with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. 
The second letter began, uh, verse began with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's something that you and I can use as a device to help us remember things. When we go through ABC and then we think, oh, what was D? Oh, it's draw near to God <laughs> because he will draw near to you. A little children's book where we had verses associated with each letter of the alphabet. Same thing here that David's doing. And when he does so, notice he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, everything did not always go well for David. He faced various difficulties in life. He even had the rebellion of a son that tried to usurp the throne from him. But David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And part of it is he said that he had called out to the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This man that in the Bible is called a man after the heart of God, we remember him as the one that when the armies of Israel were fearful as a teenager went and fought against the champion of the Philistines, the giant by the name of Goliath. David knew fear. And his courage really came from the Lord. And so he says to us, verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And what is it that we're to do? Fear the Lord, you his saints. What I need to understand is the idea of being a God-fearing person. Really means that I'm trusting God. He is my rock, my refuge, my ever-present help in any time of need. He is the one I am depending upon to uphold me in all the vicissitudes of life to establish me upon firm foundation when the storm comes and seeks to blow me away. I mean, better than Jim Cantori in the middle of the hurricane. He always likes to be wherever the eye's coming, and he's standing, you know, against the wind and letting you know how terrible it is. Well, life is like that. And God is the only one who can enable you to stand. And what David is saying is, that you and I need to be individuals who have our confident trust in the Lord. And David's son Solomon recognized that same instruction from his father, and so he included that same concept as well. Now, if we go to the teaching of Jesus, he makes it very clear that every one of us fears something. He said, do not fear man who is able to destroy the body or kill the body. And as human beings, we basically operate on the idea of what man thinks. That's what it is to fear him. That's why everybody wants to have the hip whatever's in. That's why there's new fads that everybody has to follow. That's why I don't know if I ought to do this or say something because of what people might think. We are men fearing individuals. And Jesus said, that's not the right place to put your fear. That's not what you should be concerned about. In fact, in the Psalms, the psalmist said, don't fear man whose life is just in his nostrils. Man is dependent upon something else. We can think that certain individuals are so strong and powerful. 
But in contrast, Jesus said, instead, fear him who is able to destroy both the body and soul in hell. He talked to the Jewish people in his own day. And he said, why is it you don't trust me, believe in me? Because you fear man. You're more concerned about what men think. You're more concerned about how you appear before people, how you might impress people because of who you are. In contrast, I need to be more concerned. Am I pleasing God? Is my life such that he's taking delight in it? In other words, God is the foundation. God is the focus of my life. And therefore, there is stability in life in the midst of its storms. Therefore, there is meaning and purpose and satisfaction in life, even in the midst of difficulties. Many of you will remember a good friend of ours by the name of Bill Long because we were praying for him in regard to his cancer. And one of the last letters I got from him prior to the Lord taking him home, he signed it with Satisfied in Jesus. That chokes me up every time I think of it. Going through those painful struggles in life, facing the dark door of death, knowing that he's not going to be able to interact with family and friends and loved ones ever again. He said, my life has meaning. My life has purpose. My life is fulfilled. I am satisfied in Jesus. That's what it means to be a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman. He is my foundation. He is my focus. And no matter what life throws at me, I'm ready. I'm ready because he is the rock upon which I stand. Solomon, when he gave this instruction in the book of Ecclesiastes, made it very clear why it is to have a God-centered focus and a God-centered foundation is so essential. Look with me in the book of Proverbs as we work our way back to Ecclesiastes. Proverbs chapter 9. Many of you have memorized this verse. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What I need more than anything else is an ability to discern the problems that I face and to know what is the right course of action to take. Now, you might be different than me, but there are a couple things that guide me in the decisions that I want to take. Other than I want to be sure it delights the heart of God. Whenever possible, I want to make the decision that minimizes personal discomfort and hurt. Now, maybe you're very sadistic. You want to hurt other people. You're masochistic. You want to hurt yourself. That's not my makeup. 
I want to make decisions that avoid the regrets. I want to make the decisions and the problems of life that it really turns out better for me than it was before I faced the problem. The second thing that always guides me, I hate to lose. I hate seeing my college team lose. When I participated in sports, I was probably a poor loser because I hate to lose. And the glory is, as a child of God, I'm on the winning team. Jesus Christ never loses. He has conquered even death itself. And I participate in his victory. And as I make a decision, I want to make a decision that maybe takes some of the energies and focus that I had playing sports to hang in there even when it gets difficult, to not throw in the towel because I hate to lose. And I want the wisdom that only God can give in order to face those things successfully. And where's the source? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts right there. I don't care what academic degrees you have, what recognized world philosopher you might be, individuals that you might look back on, the Aristotles, the Platos, they were grappling with the same questions. What is life? Where's meaning? What is it that's good for people? Where do they find satisfaction? And there's uh, beneficial things we can find in their writings, but basically they missed the answer because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's the fountain out of which the answers for life come. Now notice how Solomon develops this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Go back with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. The first is that I have a proper recognition on the day that I am now living. God's wisdom gives me that. So back in chapter 7 and in verse um, 10... He says, do not say, oh, for the good old days. Things were a lot better back then. How I wish that they were like that today. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Why is it Solomon would say that longing, thinking about the days in the past as being better than where you are today is a fallacious view of reality, a false concept? Well, the first is we all look back on the good old days with a romantic, selective memory. Everyone does. We think of, oh, how good it was. And maybe it's because mom and dad were handling all the problems. 
We were oblivious as to what was going on. But the more important reason is, why is today the way today is? Solomon, back in chapter 3, said, God makes every day and every event of each day appropriate for that day. That what I need to understand is, today is the way it is because God in his infinite wisdom to curb the expressions of human wickedness in order to guarantee that he works everything together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose to be sure that every one of his children always has what's for their best eternal good takes place in that day, then what I need to remember is yesterday is history. I have no clue as to what tomorrow will be. It's a mystery. But today is God's gift. And instead of longingly thinking, I wish it was like it used to be, it's to realize today is what God has given me, and it's the opportunity for me to grow in grace, to come to know him better, and to do what honors and pleases him and enjoy the blessings that he's given. Notice he says this again in verses 13 and 14. He says, consider the work of God. Who's able to straighten what he's bent? You know, you watch the world's strongest men and they can take those iron bars and they put them across their neck. And then you or I grab it and we just get a hernia. The reality of what he's saying is you can't change what a day is like. And what a day is like is not because of chance occurrences. My God rules in the heavens. His sovereignty rules reigns over all. He is the one that said, I am God and there is no one like me. I am God and I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done. And one of the uniquenesses about our God is the fact that he's never frustrated. He's never thwarted. He is not able to fulfill or do what he planned and purposed. As I have planned it, so I will do it. Unless you think that's just Isaiah talking, Paul said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Our God is the one who works all things after the counsel of his own will. Why will you face the events you face today for the same reason you face the events you faced yesterday? It's because that's what God ordained, what God planned, and you can't change it. So stop fretting. Stop getting the hernia. God has designed what is for the best good of his children and his glory as he moves things towards their appointed end. So who is able to straighten what he has bent? In the day of prosperity, what should you do? What does he say? Start trembling and thinking, I don't know what bad thing is now going to come. Not at all. We live a life of fearfulness. And somehow we feel like something is unspiritual if we enjoy the blessings he's given to us today. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But then he says, but in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other so that man can't discover anything that will happen after him. It's the realization that in the events of life, 
It's not just the cause effect that takes place. Now, you and I know the decisions of people. God's got all that under the umbrella of his divine will and good pleasure. And people make decisions and they're accountable for those decisions and have to face the consequences of them. But the reality is God is the one who is superintending all these things. He is moving history to the culmination where Jesus Christ will be enthroned as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is moving in the events of history to conform every one of his children more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. He is moving in the events of history so that we have no clue as to what's going to happen next. Because with God, there is the only being with whom there is no mystery. And no matter how much we try to understand, God still, from our standpoint, moves in a mysterious way. You know that we are, we're dog lovers. And we've had pet dogs our whole married life. And we have one now that my wife, every once in a while, oh, how smart she is. And when we say something to her, she'll turn her head one way or another. Certain things we tell her to do, I mean, almost before we say it, she runs to do it. But the reality is, she is still a dumb dog. Just like every other dog. In the sense that dogs are on a different level than we are as human beings. Isn't that true? One of the greatest examples of that is when some of the people that we've prayed for know they're dying of cancer, they have an awareness of what's going on. You take your dog to the vet to put him down, and if that dog's head is on your lap, they're very happy and content, even though they're about ready to get that lethal injection. They can't understand and fathom why we're doing these things for them, because they're on a different plane or a different sphere. Isn't that right? Now, here we are. We have our great thoughts and thinking, and God says to us, my ways are not as your ways. And my thoughts are not as your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my thoughts above your thoughts. We look at the vastness of the universe. Are you beginning to see the different level between the way God operates and God thinks from how we can comprehend? In reality, in comparison to God, we're dumb dogs. We can't put it together. But wisdom enables us to see what I have today is God's gift. And by his grace, I'll glorify him as I endure it. Or by his grace, I'll enjoy the blessing and praise him for it. The second thing he says is a benefit from wisdom is in verses 11 and 12. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun, so still living in this world. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. There's times we sit and we think about some of the athletes and the ridiculous monetary compensation that they get. And that's all part of the fact that we're in such a celebrity 
oriented worshiping society. But the bottom line is many of them can't handle that wealth. And even some of the greatest athletes have squandered all that they have. What's the advantage of having money? Well, when problems come, you can pay for it. That's what he's saying. But what's more important than just having the money is knowing how to use it. Having the wisdom, yes, sir. Having the wisdom to properly handle the financial resources that one has in order to correctly take care of needs. So what he is saying is that wisdom gives you security, protection, help, and enablement as you meet the demands of life, just like money is typically used for that purpose. See, misguidedly, so many individuals in our culture put their hope in the almighty dollar. Get blown away when we watch all of the ups and downs of the stock market. Not going to have enough to take care of the needs that may come. And the reality is there's something even more important. And that is to know how to manage our resources, to use them most effectively, and to recognize the caring concern that God has for us. doesn't mean you're not prudent, not saving, not following the right examples like Solomon would say in the book of Proverbs of how you utilize your riches. But it's to realize knowing how to use what God has given to give me a sense of well-being to take care of my needs as I go through each day is of far greatest importance. See, Jesus said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. There's two ways that you can be derailed in walking with God. One is that you're living for earthly things because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. You can't live for two masters, because you're going to hate the one and love the other. One eventually becomes the priority. But the more subtle one is why are you anxious? Why are you worried about what are we going to eat? Why are you worried about what are you going to wear? Why are you worried about whether or not we have the shelter over our heads? Fields clothed with the wildflowers tells us God's able to do something pretty spectacular for the grass of the earth. And aren't you more valuable than the grass of the earth? And not even Solomon in all of his splendor had such beauty as Texas in the springtime. Birds don't punch a time clock, yet your father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than many sparrows? So instead, seek first the kingdom of God. Have the Lord as your foundation. Have the Lord as your focus. He'll give the direction and the wisdom so that these things will be added unto you. The food to eat, the clothes to cover, the place to lay my head. 
It gives you protection, security. And then finally, if you look over in verses uh, 16 through 18, I'm jumping ahead. Look at verse 19 of chapter 7. Wisdom strengthens a man more than 10 rulers who are in the city. What Solomon is driving at in that idea is that wisdom gives you the resource to meet insurmountable obstacles. To be able to come to the right conclusion as to what needs to be done. Now going over to chapter 9... He alludes to it again in verses 16 through 18, where he says, Wisdom is better than strength. Verse 18, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. He's talking about the fact that you're meeting someone that has greater abilities or you're meeting a problem that is overwhelming. What is needed to handle those insurmountable obstacles, difficulties in life, where it seems the only thing that's available to me is doom and gloom. That's why he uses the example of a poor lad in a city who knows what ought to be done when everybody else is scratching their head. And following his advice, they're delivered from the invading army. And he said... The futility of all of this is, since he's not someone of rank and purpose or someone that's held in high esteem, after the difficulty goes away, they tend to forget how indebted they were to the individual who, by their wisdom, delivered them from that adversary, that insurmountable obstacle. So if I bring it into my daily life, I need the ability to cope with the problems I face in life that are beyond my strength, my uh, intellect, my resources to handle. And it's the wisdom that comes from God. That's why he had stated back in chapter 8, who is like the wise man who knows how to interpret the matter? A man's wisdom illuminates him and causes his stern face to shine. The point is, you're facing that insurmountable obstacle. And the fact that you're worried, the fact that you're distraught, you don't know what to do, it shows on your face. And on some individuals, it shows more than on others. I have often been told, you never would be successful as a poker player. Because I give things away on my face. All of us do to some extent. And there you are pondering the difficulty. What am I going to do? You're burdened down with the problem. And so what is the answer? All of a sudden, God turns the light on. Right? Like the little comic strip. But your mind now sees things more clearly. What happens to your countenance? Oh, you glow. I know what we need to do. I have the answer. Wisdom from God gives you the ability 
to face the insurmountable problems of life so there is stability as you go through life. So as we start putting these things together, Solomon would counsel us. Chapter 9, verse 7. Go eat your bread in happiness. You understand the Lord is in control. You can rest in him to guide and direct the things that will come into your life. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Enjoy the privilege and blessings that you have each day. Why? If you're a God-fearing person, if you're depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you're an individual that through Christ Jesus has a relationship with him, God's already approved your work. His love is unchanging. He faithfully takes care of his own. He gives unto each day what he deems best. And what I should do is enjoy the blessings he's given me today. He's made me his child. In the same way, he says, let your clothes be white at all times. Walk in the ways of righteousness like he directs in his word. Follow the directions that he gives you to have a better life a life that is void from the mistakes as much as possible that typically are met. Enjoying life with the woman you love all the days of your life, which he has given you under the sun. He reiterates, I am to be a thankful individual that enjoys the blessings that God gives to me each day. Second, I should be a person that's diligent in what's before me. Notice he says in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. God's people are to be diligent individuals who look at the task that is before them and give their strength and energy to accomplish it. Because he says, while you may think that the race is to the swift, You know, who won, the tortoise or the hare? You may think the hare is always going to win. It doesn't always happen that way. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. You may think that the battle is going to be won by the warrior. Or wise people are going to know how to put everything together. The point he's making is, whatever opportunity God puts before you, take advantage of it and do all that you can to accomplish it. Because the reality is, God is the one who is going to bring about the results. So I give myself to my endeavors, taking advantage of the opportunity. Because I understand the reality, verse 12, that there is what Solomon calls an evil, an affliction, a misfortune in life that it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or a bad person. It doesn't matter whether you're righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter whether you're trusting God or not trusting God. There's one fate for every human being, and that's death. And you and I are like birds that are caught in a trap. I don't know the day of my death. 
It's going to come upon me unexpectedly. And so I need to be keeping short accounts to take advantage of the opportunity I have now. That's living a life of wisdom. That I might have the impact and influence in the lives of others for eternal good. All of us are on a journey. That journey is life. But not everybody is prepared for the journey. That's why Solomon says even when the fool walks down the road, he demonstrates to everyone he's a fool. The point is, as you go through life, you show where your real confidence is. As you go through life and you get blindsided, you begin to find out whether your foundation is really secure. And so to live a successful life, to have real meaning and purpose in life, to be an individual that honors the Lord in life and has what is for his or her best good, I need to be an individual whose life is built on the foundation of our God and of his word because from him there is the strength and the wisdom to successfully handle whatever he has designed for you as his child each day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth, the opportunity to open your word. I thank you, Father, for your loving care and the confidence that comes in knowing that no event in the lives of your children is an accident, but all has come from your throne to cause your children to walk with you and draw ever closer to you and to bring glory and honor to your name. May our lives truly be a diadem of praise to you as we seek to do what pleases you in all things. In Christ's name, amen.